So today's episode is special because I've been dying to talk to someone about the Chinese weightlifting system for years. And my guest today, he's the perfect person to talk to. His name is Manuel and he's the co-director of Ma Strength, a company that arguably has done more to promote Chinese weightlifting than any other. So, what is Ma Strength? Well, uh, like you said, Ma Strength is a company that promotes Chinese weightlifting, and it was founded by uh, my co uh, co-director, Jinping Ma, and myself. And we currently teach Chinese weightlifting around the world, and we take uh, athletes and coaches from around the world to China to train with uh, professional teams. Yeah, man, I was looking to go to one of those training camps in China. Man, looks awesome. Yeah, people have a good time. They come as athletes and coaches and they come for two weeks and they train with uh, professional athletes and professional coaches that we have relationships with that now have experience training foreigners. And, uh, you know, they learn the life of a Chinese weightlifter. And they learned Chinese techniques and they go through seminars from each of the coaches as well as uh, Ping and myself uh, to go over topics that they might need for their own training or uh, for their uh, for their own athletes. So correct me if I'm wrong, but Coach Ma was in the Chinese national team back in the day, right? Yeah, he was uh, uh, one of the first Olympians for China in uh, weightlifting. And his coach was one of the founders of the Chinese weightlifting system. Right, right. So what's your background? How did you get in contact with him and how did all of this come about? Well, uh, I was a gymnast growing up and then uh, eventually uh, got into weightlifting in college. And uh, I went to China uh, as an undergrad uh, looking for Chinese weightlifting. Uh, I actually went there just to study abroad, but uh, I was in weightlifting at the time and uh, couldn't find anything because everything was closed off for uh, amateurs and foreigners. But uh, later on, I met uh, Coach Ma through a friend, and I just uh, contacted him through email and then started talking on the phone with him. And, you know, he said, hey, you know, you should uh, come to China and uh, uh, check it out. So, yeah, so I started going to China with him, and I, I'm able to speak, read, and write Chinese. So communicating there was a lot easier for me than most foreigners. And I was able to communicate with athletes, coaches, researchers, et cetera, and get a good sense of, uh, of how things are done over there. I started, uh, I started looking into the Chinese weightlifting system years ago when I first started developing my own system, but there was no information whatsoever out there about it. I, any little nugget that came out, I picked up. And after a while, I just realized that, hey, it seems like from the little pieces that I could gather, it seems like uh, they're doing, or I'm rather doing something similar to the Chinese, but there was no books. Uh, as far as I know, not really any training camps and definitely not anything that you guys are doing now. So I, I'm so appreciative uh, that you guys are putting out all this information. 
Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. When I, <laughs> yeah. when I started, there was nothing either. You know, the only thing that I had, uh, this was around 2003 or four was an iron mind DVD by Randy Strawson. Where oh yeah. Yeah. He, um, he did one DVD about some Chinese athletes. And, uh, when I saw that, you know, I was immediately hooked. I mean, I love the DVDs already, but you know, a lot of it was uh, European uh, championships and training halls. And as much as those were awesome, you know, I didn't have a, there wasn't a lot of coaching. There wasn't any YouTube or Facebook at the time or anything like that. So, you know, all you could do is just watch and learn and try to find what few books there were on weightlifting in general. And I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't getting it. And so, you know, when I saw the Chinese DVD and I saw, how they were doing things, I was like, whoa, that is amazing. And maybe that might be more conducive for me. So I definitely had an interest in it early on, uh, from that DVD and, uh, was able to, uh, follow through on it. Man, Randall Strawson, he has done some great stuff for weightlifting here too, because, uh, he's the reason that I got in contact with, uh, all the Bulgarians that I went to train with because I saw his DVDs. So, and you had a similar journey to China. That's pretty cool. Well, his, uh, his, 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 uh, Iron Mind poster of Dimas. Yeah. Yeah. Championships where he's holding up that number one sign. Yeah. That, that got me into weightlifting in general because I saw just how, how strong he looked and how strong he actually was. And I didn't know about weightlifting at the time but when i saw that image i was like wow that is but that looks awesome yeah yeah hey randall if you're listening you're awesome you're the man yeah so i never met him but his work uh, was uh uh really influenced me just to get into weightlifting and then showed me that chinese weightlifting existed and then yeah. uh and then i ran with that so let's talk about the the system the system a bit because as I said before, for a long time, it was very difficult to find any information whatsoever about it. And of course, now you guys released a book. I got it literally. Actually, I tried to buy it the minute it was released. I'm not exaggerating. The minute. Uh, so, uh, and I read it cover to cover. <laughs> I mean, in one day. It, not because it's not full of information, because it is. It's it's a serious book. It's not one of those ten pages PDFs. Um, but let's talk about the system a little bit, because people are confused. Some people say, "Oh, well, it's uh, it's like the Russian system." Some people say, "Like, oh, it's like the Bulgarian system." It's not really like any of those systems, really. Well. You know, the Chinese learned from everybody. They learned from America um, yeah. when America was number one. And then when the Soviet Union rose, they started uh, going to Russia to learn from some of the sports scientists there. And then when Bulgaria rose, uh, they started taking trips over there. So uh, they've learned from the major schools of weightlifting and just blended what worked for them and what, and discarded what didn't work. Yeah, there was someone who said something that I can sort of understand where he come from with that. He said, um, 
uh, that it's uh, like Russian exercise selection, but Bulgarian intensity. Is there any truth to that? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what they mean by that. Uh, okay. Well, I can't speak for the person, but so... <laughs> Well, it seemed like because you often see uh, Chinese weightlifters do a lot of different exercises as like opposed to the Bulgarians sticking to the uh, very few basics. Well, the Bulgarians used to do a lot of uh, exercises uh, until Abhijayev. Yeah. And even when Abhijayev first came on the scene, he gradually started taking away exercises Yeah. until until he settled on snatch uh, clean and jerk, front squat, and ba and maybe the power versions and jerk from rack. And that was it. Yeah, Event eventually, actually, even removed the jerk from racks. Yeah. So, for <laughs> while, you know, he had he had a fair bit of exercise selection. He himself trained with a lot of exercise selection. Yes. So, um, you know, that was a gradual process. So it's not like the Chinese went, you know, in the '70s or early '80s and then. We're just doing snatch and clean and jerk. No, the no. Bulgarian system that they had contact with was very different from what is popularized now. Oh, I see. Interesting. So, uh, uh, what if if we just break it down a little bit? You have these five keywords or principles or uh, however you want to call them. You know what I'm where I'm getting at here. Yeah, the five words. The five words, yeah. Would you please describe them for us? Well, the five words are close, fast, low, timing, and stable. And those words, they came from uh, Moss Coach, and they were developed over time. Uh, when Moss Coach started, he uh, mainly emphasized the, f the first three words, close, fast, and low. And then through coaching, experience, and research, uh, Chinese weightlifting as a whole uh, included the other two words. So um, many sports in China, they are governed by a certain number of words. Some uh, sports have three words, some have five, some have six, seven, whatever. And it's just a guiding philosophy uh, for that sport. So for weightlifting, they've settled on five words. So Ma's coach didn't have a lot of education. Uh, and so when he was a lifter, he just went through his own feeling of the lifts. So for him, he understood the words, uh, the weight, the lifts along these five words. So he said, you know, when we talk about close, we're talking about how close the bar is to you and how close, uh, you are to the bar, uh, throughout the whole lift. Uh, yeah. when we talk about fast, we're talking about moving the barbell fast, not so much about moving the body fast because there's a lot of lifters who will, uh, they move fast, but then the bar still moves slow. So what he, what he thought about was trying to get maximal bar speed. And then, uh, third word low refers to just catching the barbell as low as you can, uh, when it gets heavy. So, you know, uh, nobody can power snatch more than they full snatch, or at least they shouldn't, no. No. <laughs> you know, uh, right. uh, some beginners will, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you have experience, you should be able to full snatch more than power snatch. So being low allows you to, uh, catch the most weight. And then over time, 
they develop the fourth and fifth words. Uh, fourth word being timing, which refers to the rhythm of the lift, means to catch it with uh, with minimal with minimal drops so that it doesn't uh, put a lot of force and stress on the joints. And yeah. then stable just guarantees the lift. It means to catch the catch the barbell basically where you uh, where you started. So you can move laterally to, you know, to squat and catch the barbell, but you don't need to jump forward or backwards to do this lift. In fact, if you do that, that means that you're moving from your initial position and that can cause some instability, which will stress the joints, but it can also miss a lift. You know, you've seen a lot of lifts at world championships where some athletes going for a world record or just going for the number one spot and they stand up with the lift, but they're running around and then they they have to drop it and that lift is gone. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they did all the work, but they didn't get the result. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. And uh, I think there's something really uh, interesting about using just a few keywords like that. I don't know at all if this is how you guys use it, but when I first read about those words uh, way back, then I thought to myself, hey, I can actually think about programming in terms of these words. So uh, let's use those words, for instance. Am I stable? Uh, well, no, I'm not really stable. Well, are there exercises that I can do that increases uh, stability, essentially? For sure, for sure. Those those became the guiding words, not just for technique, but also for programming. So yeah. look at, a, you know, in his view, if you could do these five words, you will have a perfect lift. So if there's any of those words that are, that are missing, first, they reinforce each other. So, for example, if the barbell is not close to you, or you're far away, it's easy for you to, for the barbell to pull you or for you to pull the bar. And that's going to create some instability in the lift. So, yeah. um, and so if you're not close, then you can select movements that can help reinforce being close, you know, or if you are slow, then you can do movements that will increase your speed. So, yeah. you know, those words were, for him, um, how he conceptualized technique and with his training partner at the time, who eventually became his assistant coach started adding science and biomechanics to these words, uh, which were, uh, outlined in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, is that essentially how you go about picking variations for the main lifts? Because I often see, uh, Chinese lifters doing many variations of the main lifts, like from locks, from hang, so on and so forth. Is that usually how you go about picking the right variations at the at the time? Well, uh, sort of. So you know these uh, these five words they come from three gravity principles that were developed by Coach uh, uh, Ma's coach's teammate. Yeah. So when they were developing this system, you know, he introduced some biomechanics to that and basically said that, uh, you know, the body follows three gravity principles. So uh, the joints in the body can all exert an upward force when they're lifting and a horizontal force. And those forces, those horizontal forces have to be exerted simultaneously in their respective directions and in a way so that the forward forces and the backward forces are in equal magnitude. Yeah. So 
if there's if they're not in equal magnitude, then you have to look at which joint is is not contributing or is contributing too much, and uh, and causing the issue. And then what exercises can you use to fix that? Yeah. Okay. I see where. Uh, got a joint, you can you know that starts. Uh, having you dig down a deeper hole. So if you look at a joint, you can say, okay, well, what muscles affect that joint? So what muscles uh, are responsible for that kind of movement? And then how do I strengthen those muscles? How do I strengthen uh, or the speed of those muscles? And then go from there. That's, uh, that's almost like uh, you're building the house brick by brick rather than just trying to put a house there. Basically, yeah, uh, and you can definitely see this uh, in uh, if you guys uh, listening have ever watched any great Chinese weightlifter lift. I mean, they encompass these principles, these five words. So, uh, I mean, to the T, you will see them. That's why I think uh, almost anyone will say that uh, Chinese weightlifting technique looks so beautiful compared to a lot of other styles. Well, one thing is that the programming f- assumes the technique, you know, so there is this ideal technique and the athletes, when they're young, they're taught how to do this with a broomstick and they're taught to do it reasonably well. But then the programming all centers around, you know, like you said, building that house brick by brick yeah. rather than, you know, choosing a program and hoping that your technique gets good, you know, or that looks yeah, yeah. some certain way. Uh, in China, it's more, this is where we have to go, and this is how we're going to get there. Okay, so uh, continuing on with um, with exercise selection, then you see a lot of uh, strength work in uh, Chinese weightlifting, and you see a lot of deadlifts, heavy pulls, squats, of course, but everyone does that, but all these, uh, and also presses. How important are those for developing the technique? And how important are they? Well, obviously, they're important for developing strength, but are they also important for developing technique? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever you choose a movement, it should help develop technique in some form or aspect. So some movements are going to be more uh, specific and have a lot of carryover, and others are going to be more general and focus more on building a certain quality in that body part that you need for technique. So you might have movements that will develop strength uh, for say in the legs, some might develop speed. Some might be used more for leg endurance because you might be able to do uh, two hang snatches, but your third one is always uh, faltering. But you need more endurance to be able to do a set of three because your goal is to be able to do uh, is to practice lifting heavy weights. But if you're always having that third rep be a bad rep, then you need to do exercises that help you have the endurance to keep your position, to keep your speed, to keep your power, whatever that issue is. Man, that's a, that's a great point because that's essentially your training to be able to train in a certain way. Right. Because yeah. what we're trying to do in weightlifting is we're trying to lift you know, the most amount of weight. And to do that, we have to practice that. But yeah. we have to do, we have to have good practice in order to reach that level. Otherwise, you're only, your body can only take so many of those lifts, especially if they're not technically sound, 
before you, you get injured. So how often do you do your athletes typically train? Is it every day or how many days a week? So in China, they train usually six days a week uh, at the professional level, but uh, they'll have about uh, about nine sessions usually uh, yeah. during the week. And then sometimes they'll have special cycles, whether they're preparing for the Olympics uh, or some other competition where they might do more sessions, but they're very short. So, you know, they'll adopt more of a Bulgarian approach um, and have very short sessions, but they'll do what's, you know, what most people think is Bulgarian, uh, you know, for two or three weeks, you know, oh, uh, I see just for a short duration before it starts to grind on you. And, uh, and, you know, not every athlete follows that either. You know, that's uh, one particular aspect about this system is that they do have, they use many methods based on how the athlete responds. So some will respond better to volume. Some will respond better to intensity and, um, and some require more of a mix. So they'll program based on, uh, how the athlete responds. That's the difference uh, between a, a system and a program, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people make that mistake. Oh, there is this program out there and I have to do exactly this. And that's exactly how it needs to work. But you need to tailor stuff to the athlete. Right. And, you know, that's not that's not um, I mean, a lot of schools have do that i think yeah you know, i think uh, the russians will do that um but yeah it's just you know it's just really really emphasized in china so it's you know whenever you know we talk about on our post or whatever about what's done in china we don't talk about other systems we're not saying oh the chinese say or the chinese believe in doing this well some other schools might do that too but we yeah. try to emphasize how that relates to the overall system, the overall philosophy, and the overall approach. Yeah, uh, and uh, just to inform the listeners here, go and follow Ma Strength on, I follow you guys on Instagram, that's basically where I hang out. Lots of informative posts, not just random coffee pictures, it's actually some information in there, so go follow them. Uh, so, uh, how would you were talking about elite athletes there? Um, typically, the nine sessions, which I think is actually these days fairly common among many countries to train twice per day. Uh, but how do you have any information on how athletes start out? Is is a is it a similar setup there, or is it less ses sessions, or what's going on? Yeah, there's a chapter in the book about uh, training youth athletes. Yeah. And so uh, they go through several stages of selection uh, to see if they are fit for weightlifting, not just physically, but mentally. And also if they like it, you know, uh, they check to see um, how they respond to training. And uh, their first, you know, when they first start out, they're doing just a lot of general athletic training you know, a lot of sprints, running, jumping, uh, and as well as stick work just to get the general movement in, but they're focused more on building their athletic qualities, uh, rather than specializing them into weightlifting early on. And then yeah. gradually as those kids develop, then they start picking out to see, 
you know, who, who is going to be uh, the next champion. Uh, when kids hit puberty, you know, they might even switch from other sports because, you know, they might've been, they might've looked like they could do a sport, but then they might be too tall or too short, too thick or whatever, uh, that they might have to change, you know, and that, that actually happened with, uh, you know, some, some top level athletes before where they hmm. come from gymnastics or a track and field, and then they jump into weightlifting. Yeah. And they can probably do that because they have that base that you're talking about where they, uh, well, uh, it's popular, it's popular to call it general physical preparedness, right? They have that, uh, general athletic base. And if they're still young, you can probably change sports. Yeah. So like, for example, uh, Lu Xiaojun, you know, he's mentioned that, you know, he started out as a, as a sprinter and, you know, in track and field, you still do the lifts. Now you don't do them to the extent of a weightlifter, but you're still doing a lot of plyometric, uh, work, a lot of acceleration work, speed work, as well as, uh, strength training. But, uh, you know, around, I think when he was 14 or so, you know, his coaches saw that, you know, he wasn't going to have the body of a sprinter. So, uh, there was a coach that found him one day and said, Hey, why don't you do weightlifting? You know, you, you're built perfectly for that. You know, you're not too tall and you have uh, good proportions. Give yeah. it a shot. Yeah, he did fairly well, I would say. Yeah, he's doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So when they have this, uh, when they, when they, let's say they've trained maybe two or three years, uh, does the training start to change again? Maybe more directed training or what's going on? Yeah, the training uh, changes almost every year. So we have uh, a progression outlined in the book, but uh, the general uh, overview is that they start increasing the number of sessions, the increasing the duration of sessions, and they start changing the composition of the sessions. So they start mm. going from uh, a lot of general work to more specific weightlifting work uh, every year. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, we definitely need to talk about this because this is always a topic, not even, not just among weightlifters, but even among powerlifters and that I am also highly involved with the bodybuilding work that people love to call it. I don't like that word, but <laughs> you know, the exercises that I mean, the, for the, uh, the small exercises, basically. Right. And and you always see Chinese lifters doing a lot of this stuff compared to many other sites. Well, I guess the Russians do as well, but there are many, uh, many people who completely neglect them. What is their purpose? How do you program them? Well, um, some exercises are, you know, to save the joints. So if you do a lot of extension work, say for your elbows, you, you know, you might need to do a little bit of bicep work to keep your... Uh, keep your muscular balance and keep your elbows from hurting. Uh, you might need to do bodybuilding work to um, increase the endurance of a certain uh, body part or yeah. uh, to increase just the tension that a certain area experiences because they either don't get that kind of uh, tension through a compound movement uh, or the classical movements and you need to bring it up as a lagging body part. I see. And I would add to that, uh, 
if, if you're really tall and you're too tall for your weight class, it might be a good idea to add some in. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to increase volume and, uh, increase the amount of tension yeah. in the muscle because you can only snatch and clean and jerk for so long. You know, even if you can do perfect lifts with heavy intensity, there's still only so much time in the day that you can do that. You know, if you do 10 singles of heavy snatch, you know, and you do it every two minutes or so, you know, that's at least 20 minutes of work. But, you know, if you do a set of 10 reps for say your quads or your glutes, you know, you're still getting tension in that area, uh, to build it up. And it's actually more direct. Yeah, absolutely. And you get more time under tension. I mean, with the snatch and the clean and jerk, there's only so much time under tension going on because it's fast lifts. Right. Uh, so uh, do you have any opinion on uh, what specific muscles are more important to train with the bodybuilding work or is it just all of them? All of them, because, you know, if you if, if one of those muscles is lagging or if you ever injure any of these muscles, you're going to feel it. You know, you might be able to train around it, but you'll feel it. You know, the body is one whole unit and these lifts are pretty full body. So, you know, you definitely, you know, want to take care of the whole body. Yeah, I, well, I agree with you. <laughs> it's just uh, one of those things that uh, seem to divide people on whether you should do it or not. But I agree with you. And I learned that the hard way. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Um, so if you have your typical training day, would, can you describe it? What would it look like any day of the week? So, uh, I'll just give an example from the, our camp. Yeah. So, you know, the, what, uh, what the athletes will do is they'll get up around, uh, probably get up around five or five thirty, and they'll get ready to do morning exercises. And that's usually some calisthenic work, some sprints, some jumps. Uh, they'll usually do that for about 45 minutes to an hour. And um, from there, they go back, they have a team meeting, and then they get ready for breakfast. And breakfast is usually from 7.30 to 8.30. And then they have uh, about an hour uh, to rest and digest. And then training starts at 9.30. And it goes until about 11.30. And then lunch is from 11.30 to 12.30. And then after lunch, they have usually have about a two-hour break, uh, sometimes three. So training begins, the second session in the day usually begins around 2.30 or 3 o'clock. And it goes until 5 or 5.30. And then right after that is dinner time from 5.30 to 6.30. And then they have some time after that to do recovery uh, recovery training, and then they go to sleep. Wow, that's intense. But it sounds a lot of fun. <laughs> I need to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then on the days that they do single training, uh, sometimes it's either in the morning or in the afternoon. Uh, but then during the camp, uh, during those times, we'll have uh, seminars with our coaches so that, you know, we can talk about programming or training specific populations or, uh, talking about certain aspects. For example, we had, um, one of our coaches 
this year, uh, this past winter was a squat jerk specialist. And so she talked about, you know, training the squat jerk, coaching it and some things to consider it. If you're thinking about, uh, going with the squat jerk. So she did a seminar on that. Yeah, and I don't think people should be as afraid of the squat jerk as they might be in the Western countries. I actually had one lifter who performed really well in it. And you just need to practice it and get more comfortable with it. And uh, if if it's a fit for you, go for it. Well, in China, every athlete learns how to do both. They learn how to do the split jerk and the squat jerk. So the squat jerk can be used as an assistance movement, not just for jerk, but for snatch. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people will do drop snatch with no yeah. problem, you know, but for some reason the squat jerk gets a, a bad rap. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you do, if you do a squat, uh, a squat snatch, uh, drop snatch and you do a, uh, a squat jerk, well, the squat jerk is still teaching you to drop under the barbell like you would in the snatch. It's just held in the front like a jerk. Exactly. Uh, whereas the squat, uh, the drop snatch is behind your, behind your head with a yeah. wide grip. You know, I would say that the squat jerk is even more specific because one, it is training you to do your dip and drive like a jerk, but also teaching you to drop deep like you would in a snatch or in a squat jerk, if that's the way you're going to go for competition. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a little bit more demanding on mobility, but that's something you should build up as a weightlifter, really. Well, either way so there's mobility as well yeah sure sure and uh, man uh, the first time i tried to add in um, uh, uh, overhead uh, squats like in the squat jerk from uh, i did them from pins man that's a great exercise that that's uh, something and that's when i thought to myself hey i need to start practicing the squat jerk as well because i i could feel muscles that i didn't really know even existed yeah i was at the uh the national team base one year uh and i took a video of uh xiaojun doing yeah. a up overhead squat i think he had two 220 or 240 on the bar and he did an overhead squat from the bottom and uh it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Oh yeah, uh, people, you need to try it. It's <laughs> it's amazing, and it will teach you a thing or two about stability. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned before uh, recovery work in the evening. What would that typically entail? So for some athletes, it could be going into the sauna, could be going into an ice bath, uh, could be acupuncture, uh, massage uh any sort of uh vibration work ah oh, i see yeah so okay it depends on the athlete you know if they have a if they have a tweak after training they'll tell talk to the coach and then the coach will say okay you need to go you need heat or you need ice or you need stretching whatever so the ah. relationship between the athlete and the coach um is is really emphasized so the coach needs to know exactly what the athlete feels they need to be on the same page because if you're not then that's where injuries can occur that's where uh you can waste time with your training so for example you know if you do a lift and it feels like death to you and your coach sees it and says oh that looks easy put five more kilos on you know yeah. and then you're thinking no way that was 100 percent, but you do it anyway and then you get hurt 
well, then now you're stuck. Now you have to waste time on trying to heal rather than trying to train. Yeah. Is that, so is that something that, uh, we talked earlier about how, um, how the training program can be highly individualized. Is that something that's partly up to the athlete then rather than the coach sometimes? Well, the athlete gives feedback to the coach and through a training diary and also just through communication. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's, there's cultural norms in China. And so sometimes athletes might not be, uh, as forthcoming or confident in being and in, in telling them what they feel, but they can write it down. So then the coach can look at the training for the day and think about what they saw. They, they might say, okay, this athlete looks slow today. And then upon reading the training diary, they can say, they can see that the athlete wrote something like, oh, I, uh, I felt, I didn't get a lot of sleep yesterday. I felt sluggish or, oh, I felt, I felt really good, but I felt weak in my legs or something like that, you know, yeah. and then, then that can spur a conversation with the athlete to say, okay, well, what can we do about your sleep or tell me more about your legs, you know, and we can solve that problem. So there are many examples in the book on how to structure the training. And I urge everyone listening to this, go out and get it. It's a great book. I believe it's both physical and uh, and digital. I only got the digital one, but you have a physical one, right? Uh, as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can purchase the physical version or the digital version, and we have a combo package uh, for that as well. And um, you know, we do provide examples throughout the book, and we try to give a general sketch of the training and some examples of training. You know, uh, but uh, it's not. It's not the kind of book where it's like, okay, here are the programs and just follow those. No, it's not a do this. You need to think a little bit for yourself and figure out where you are in your training. You know, we, we give the general sketch of yeah. what it looks like, but, and we give examples, but we talk about the decisions that go into picking those movements, putting them where they are. And then for your own training, you can do that. Yeah. And there are a lot of examples in that book and, uh, a lot of information that we won't be able to cover here because it's a thick book. There are hundreds of pages, and it's not fill. It's not filler. It's uh, it's real information, guys. Uh, but if you could give uh, some basic outline, uh, how often you you typically would uh, say snatch up per week? How often you would typically clean and jerk, or how often you would typically squat and so on? Well, you would do, usually do the full lifts maybe once a week each. And uh, they do front squat once a week and back squat once a week, uh, unless the athlete is for, is lacking in leg strength or uh, technique and needs to work on, needs to do squats three times a week. But most athletes are doing about uh, squatting twice a week and then do the full lifts twice a week. And then everything else in between is some sort of partial movement or variation uh, to work on the qualities uh, needed to improve the full lifts. So do you do some sort of variation uh, of uh, both snatch and clean and jerk every day, or do you utilize uh, snatch days and clean and jerk days? Uh, uh, It depends. So it depends on the stimulation. So you can do 
snatch and some sort of snatch and clean and jerk movement every day. And that's, uh, something that will happen for some intermediate athletes, but, uh, for some higher level athletes or for, if you're stagnant with that kind of approach, you might need to do a dedicated snatch day, a dedicated clean and jerk day, because all of those movements are going to, uh, create a deeper stimulation for that motor pattern. Yeah. So, for example, if you do, you know, a set of deadlifts and you're used to doing, you know, maybe five sets, but if you, and then you move on and you do something completely different, like, uh, maybe, uh, overhead movement or something that's has some carryover, but not quite the same, like a clean and jerk, uh, type of movement, like a clean pull or whatever, you know, the carryover starts getting away from that snatch deadlift. So yeah. you want to use movements that reinforce that snatch deadlift uh, movement. So you could do snatch pull or muscle snatch or hang snatch or something from the block or whatever uh, that reinforces that snatch position. Uh, so you might a uh, training session might start with either the full lift or a variation. And uh, after that, would you do several variations, the same session, or would you go to maybe perhaps a strength-based movement and so on? Or how would you typically program it? I know it depends, but <laughs> uh, how would you typically do it? So, um, you know, for an example from the camp, because we train yeah. professional lifters, so yeah. uh, we tend to follow the, their training schedule. So you might have you know, snatch on Monday, you might do a yeah. full lift. And then from there you'll do, uh, some sort of snatch variation and then some, uh, uh, some strength work, some general, uh, strength work. That's not squatting based, just something could be pull based, could be pressing based and some bodybuilding. And then Tuesday you would have a dedicated strength day and that's usually uh, front squat or back squat. And then you have supporting movements, for uh for the squat uh you can have some partial movements that uh for technique if you need it but that are more strength based so for example you could do uh uh push press or some sort of jerk recovery or jerk dip after heavy squats you know because the legs are primed and they're ready to move heavy weight and these movements are not as fast or as technical as doing say a jerk so you would do those kinds of strength movements after that. And then Wednesday, because you did some sort of heavy snatch on Monday and then you did heavy squats the day after that, you're going to be a little bit fatigued. So Wednesdays you'll see more of a mix type of, um, setup. So you might see, uh, some sort of power or hang or block version of the snatch and clean. Um, and you introduce the clean a little bit, uh, because you haven't done it so much this week, uh, so far. And then, uh, so it's more of a mixed on Wednesday and then Thursday is usually a lighter day. Uh, you can do some, uh, uh, some partial movements or just some light recovery work. And then Friday you do heavy cleaning jerk and some clean base movements. And then Saturday you would do, uh, whatever squat you didn't do Tuesday. So if you did, back squat Tuesday, you would do front squat Saturday and you can do some heavy pulls and deadlifts combined with those squats because you're off on Sunday. Okay. I want the listeners to pay attention to a few things here. 
first, notice how the intensity waves a bit during the week. I think that's really important. And second, notice how uh, Manuel actually emphasized that there are two strength days. Strength is kind of important for weightlifting, and not everyone seems to understand that part. I don't know why, because it's literally called weightlifting, but hey, that's how it is. So when you actually have dedicated strength days, that kind of tells the story. Well, you need that because if you if you do your squats always after, say, heavy snatch or heavy clean and jerk, they're always going to have some level of fatigue. Yeah. So even if you feel great, it's going to be harder for you to push that squat higher if you're always pre-fatigued. So in order to get to higher levels, you're going to need some days where uh, you put the squat first or the deadlift first and push that strength when it's fresh, when the body's fresh. And I sort of assume that that can vary throughout the year uh, in regards to if it's close to competition or if it's far away from competition. Oh, for sure. The volume and intensity uh, changes throughout the year. All right, that's it for part one of my interview with Manuel. But you know me by now, I keep talking and talking. So, of course, we got a whole other episode to go. And hey... Before you say that I need to lay off the coke, <laughs> it wasn't coke, I was just sick, my nose was running, sorry guys, but I just had to bring this episode to you. Well, until next time, I'm out, take care, ciao.